we are we are coming through uh, to to the end. We're we're not going to get to the end of chapter eleven today, for one reason. I've taken some time just to to go over these things, but for another, the section that's ahead of us. We, we're beginning at verse eleven in chapter eleven. The he, this section that's uh, uh, that's before us is one of the more difficult sections in the book of Romans. Everybody thinks about Romans 7 as being a critical and difficult passage, but in a way, chapter 11 is far more difficult, uh, and especially verses um, 17 to 25, or 24. So I I hope to get through verse 16 this morning, (laughs) and then when we have more opportunity, and we have a great opportunity next Sunday, um, uh, Marlon and Asalia will be speaking, and they brought some friends from Kazakhstan to uh, speak uh, with us too. Don't miss that. That'll be a rare opportunity. Um, uh, if 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 you miss this, you'll miss something significant. It, it'll be very meaningful. So uh, be sure to be here next week. So two weeks, Lord willing, from today, we'll uh, go on to the more difficult portion of Chapter Eleven. Come prepared to think. It ain't gonna be easy. All right. So, Chapter Eleven. Uh, where are we in the book of Romans? We're in that section of the book that is actually kind of a capstone to the whole, to the whole theological section of the book. Uh, turn back to Romans 1 for just a moment. <clears throat> in Romans 1, in verses uh, 3 and 4, or rather, yeah, 3 and 4, um, Paul identifies the nature of the gospel. So he says in verse 2, he, let's read 1 and 2, Paul, a bond slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And then from verse 2, through, certainly through verse 4, he's explaining what the gospel is. And the cross doesn't even appear. That, that's kind of strange. Yes? So, so what's here? Well, verse 2 Uh, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, So the the gospel is is in, it's promised in the prophets. Verse 3, about his son. And then he gives two great facts about his son. One in verse 3, one in verse 4. The fact in verse 3 is, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Yeah? So what does that mean? He's human. Okay, yeah, let me just stay with human for now. You're right, and that's where I'm headed. But it's too early. So <laughs> I want these ideas to unfold a little bit at a time. Yeah, I want to wait on it. We don't wait on that. Don't don't go that far. He's a human. Verse four, who was designated son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What is the, what is the fact about Jesus here? He's God. So verse 4, he's man. Verse five, I'm sorry, verse 3, he's man. Verse 4, he's God. What if I tell you that's not right? That's normal. That's the way most people read verses 3 and 4. But let me take you back to verse 4 a minute and just think about it. Is Jesus designated, defined as... Son of God, first at the resurrection. 
I see a couple of heads moving. Is Jesus designated as Son of God, deity, first at the resurrection? No. No. Well, that's what this text says. He's defined as Son of God with power by the resurrection or at the resurrection from the dead. Are you with me here? So, so what does he mean, Son of God? And folks, there are three senses to Son of God. We've said this before, but it's, it's new to most Christians, and so it doesn't stick in the mind very easily. So there are three senses to the term Son of God that you need to have in mind whenever you read it in Scripture. One is, Son of God means he's begotten in the, vir- in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. He is God's Son. Yes? And that would relate specifically to his humanity. Second, Son of God means a member of the Trinity. Yes? That's what we just said. Right? But now I want you to turn to a passage in chapter in, in Acts, in chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. Paul is speaking in Antioch here in a synagogue. Um, and uh, I think it's Antioch. My great learning has driven me mad. I can't remember where it is. Um, someplace else. I didn't say it's someplace in Galatia. And in verse 32, uh, Paul is speaking to the Jewish people gathered at the synagogue, and he says, We are announcing to you the good news, the promise that came to our fathers. And here, verse 33 gives the promise um, that God has fulfilled, I'm sorry, it's not the promise, uh, that God has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. Note that we're talking about resurrection and a day of begetting. Yes? Is Jesus begotten as second member of the Trinity on the day of the, of, of the resurrection? No. When, is he, when, is, when does he become? That's a bad word. I don't have a better at this point. Yeah, eternally, there is no beginning to his being a son of God, second member of the Trinity. He's always second member of the Trinity. So what does the resurrection have to do with his begetting as the son of God? Now turn to Psalm 2. Acts chapter 4 says that David wrote Psalm 2. Okay? Are you with me? All right. So if Psalm 2 uses the word I, who is it it likely referring to? David. David. So I read when I get there. I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, who is me? David. David. You are my son. This day I have begotten you. So David is now second member of the Trinity. No? 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 Yeah, it means that the translators think it's referring to Jesus. But there are no capital letters in Hebrew. There's no such thing as capital letters in Hebrew. The sanctified version doesn't have it. Uh, which one is the sanctified version? Oh, the Eng- English sanctified version. I've not heard that before. That's good. Uh, uh, um, uh, go back to verse 1. In, in chapter 2, in Psalm 2, 
Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples make foolish plots? The ruler, the kings of the earth have gathered together. The rulers have assembled against the Lord and against his anointed. Who would the anointed of the Lord be against whom the nations have gathered? David. How, how did David get to be king? He was anointed by Samuel and Judah and the northern tribes. He has triple anointing. So he has three times the Holy Spirit anybody else has. Not quite. Because anointing doesn't mean imbued with the Holy Spirit. It means uh, recognized and uh, as, as a person who has responsibilities to God, and God has responsibilities to him. So uh, uh, verse 3, they say, let us break their bonds, let's cast their, fo- their fetters from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his wrath. As for me, I have established my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Who is God's king established on Zion, his holy mountain? When has Jesus ever been established as king on Zion? What tense is the verb in verse 6? I have installed. So, so who, what king, when David wrote this psalm, what king had been established as God's king on his holy hill, Zion? David. So verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Augusto? Yeah, the last portion of, it, of verse 7. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. It's a metaphor of fathering not biological. That's right. It is a metaphor, and that's the critical point. The, the critical point here is that the king is God's appointed heir of the whole earth. Look at verse 8. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your personal possession. Sorry to keep you hunting passages, but turn to Second Samuel 7. Just so that I can underscore the interpretation that's here in Second Samuel verse uh, chapter seven, um, um, verse twelve. This is the Davidic covenant passage in Second Samuel. Um, uh, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who will sit on your throne. Um, uh, 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 rather, who will come forth from your loins? I will make. I, I will uh, establish his kingdom. Um, he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is the person that David is is hearing about from God? Who is God talking about? No, he's talking about Solomon. Solomon. And then he says, verse 14, I will be his father, he shall be second member of the Trinity. With, with 300 concubines and 700 wives. Okay, well, Hebrew doesn't have uh, an indefinite article, so when it lacks the definite article, it can be also qualitative. 
So let's go back to Acts uh, uh, 13. What are we talking about in Acts 13? We're talking about not the deity of Jesus. Do you, do you not see the same language, the quotation of the same verse? Yes, in Psalm 2, allusions to 2 Samuel 7. What are we talking about? The third sense of the phrase Son of God, first two, born of the Virgin Mary, second member of the, second member of the Trinity, and third sense in which the, word, the phrase Son of God can be used is God's authorized king who has the right to rule the whole earth. So in Acts 13, 33, Paul, do note that it's Paul who's speaking, yes? Why is that important? Because Paul wrote Romans 1, right? So Paul says, this promise God has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son this day. What day? Well, look at the verse. What day? Yeah. But look, read the verse again. What day? Today. Yeah, yeah, that's, that doesn't help me. Is that Tuesday? What, what day? Sunday right now. Sunday right now. But maybe it was Tuesday when he was speaking. So. Well, no, read the verse. He, he has fulfilled this promise to us, their children, by... Raising Jesus from the dead. What day is today? The day. The resurrection day. So what is the resurrection day? The resurrection day is, is, the, is Jesus' coronation day as king. In Israel, uh, I, 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 I hoped maybe we would have this down, but this is such a new idea for most Christians. Folks, you read the New Testament without the old to your peril. Are you with me here? Um, so, so because we've read the New Testament, we haven't paid adequate attention to the Old Testament and its thought. We miss a lot of the depth that's in the New Testament. So what's the point? In ancient Israel, you make a king in two stages. Okay? Are you with me? Right. Um, David is... So in... In 1 Kings 1, David is elderly. Um, he is so weak, he can hardly, he can hardly function. He's um, always cold. And so uh, he's, he's kind of out of the loop. And his son, Adonijah, uh, thinks this is the time to claim the kingship. It's been promised to Solomon but this is the time I can, if I, if I act now, I can become king and I'll, be, I'll have everything in control. So he went down, he got a prophet, he got a priest, he got the soldiers in the army to accompany him down to one of the springs in, uh, on the edge of Jerusalem. And uh, um, I forgot the spring, uh, Ain Rogel. And um, uh, they throw a party and they crown him king. As all that is going on, Nathan, do you, you remember the story, do you? Nathan came to Bathsheba and he said, you're, you're in trouble. Adonijah's going to be king and he's not going to be happy with you sticking around here. 
Uh, so here's what you've got to do. You've got to go into David and, and remind him of his, of his promise that Solomon would, would sit on the throne after him. Now we know it was God's promise. Yes? Yeah? Um, and, uh, and while you're talking, as a second witness, I'll come in and say the same thing. Adonijah's trying to take it. We've got to act now to make Solomon king. So when they go, when this all works out, David says, uh, take Solomon, go down to Ain, uh, Gihon, the Gihon spring, and uh, uh, crown him king. But who got crowned first? Solomon or Adonijah? Adonijah. Adonijah. What good is this going to do? Crown him king. Uh, Nathan is a prophet. They take Zed- uh, Zadok the high priest. They take representatives of the army. They go to, to uh, uh, Gihon spring. And they crown Solomon as king. There's a great outburst of joy. It's just a a few hundred meters north of of Ain Rogel. It's just across the valley. It's on the hillside so you can hear it. And and the folks with Adonijah ask the question, what's going on? And finally a messenger comes and he says, oh boy, it's bad. Solomon has been crowned king. And Adonijah simply capitulates? Yeah, he does. He does. Now why? He was crowned first. Why doesn't he? He's got a prophet. He's got a a priest. Neither one of them is anointed. What's, what's, What's different between the two is one thing. There are two stages to making a king. One is crowning, coronation. The other is enthronement. And in the the messenger's words, he has sat on David's donkey and he has sat on David's throne. So he is truly king. You follow this? Adonijah capitulates completely. There's not even a civil war. Why? Because the two stages have been accomplished, not just one. What am I saying, folks? What I'm saying is this. Jesus will be king in two stages. He has been crowned, but he's not yet enthroned. Well, you will say to me, I think I I know better. Doesn't Hebrews quote Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet? But did you hear the verse? Sit at my right hand. Yeah, but what did he say next? Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. He's seated on God the Father's throne. Yes? Queen Elizabeth, do you know anything about her titles? Protector of the faith. <laughs> he said head of the Illuminati. <laughs> but she's also queen of England, Scotland. Ireland, Wales. Wales, and in the full titulary, France. If if you have a if you have a King James Bible, it may or may not have this in it, but if you have a King James Bible, look at it in the front matter and see if you have what's called the Epistle Dedicatory. <coughs> the Epistle Dedicatory. If, if it doesn't have that, it's not a real King James Bible. It's not holy. So. Uh, 
in, in, in the letter that the translators wrote to King James I of Scotland, sixth of Scotland, and this is the way they say it, King James the first of England, the sixth of Scotland, king of England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, France. Now, how did he get the, name, the title king of France? How did he get the title? How did any of them get the title protector of the faith, defender of the faith? Do you know how? Henry VIII wrote theological treatises opposing Luther. Okay? And the Pope conferred upon Henry the title defender of the faith and every monarch since the uh, since uh, 1540 or whenever it was that title was given uh, has been called defender of the faith. Every title stays with every subsequent monarch. Are you with me? How did they get the title King of France? Through William the Conqueror of Normandy. Yeah. 11th century B.C.? A.B.C. A.D. <laughs> really old. <laughs> but but uh, so, so uh, the point I'm making is Jesus sits on God the Father's throne, but does he sit on the throne of Israel? Well, you will say, well, you, aren't you quibbling over niceties? And I think Scotland might say, no, this is not a nicety. Um, sitting on God the Father's throne means that he rules the whole earth. But does he have specifically the role of king of Israel yet? Has he, state, has he been enthroned specifically over Israel yet? On Mount Zion? And the answer is no. We're waiting for that. In the interim, between the coronation and the enthronement, chaos can threaten the realm. Does that communicate anything to you? We're, we're in the period we're, we're in the period between the coronation and the enthronement, and chaos can threaten the realm. Why is there so much turmoil in the world? Why is sin rampant? Well, that, but also because we're, we're waiting for Jesus to be enthroned. Didn't he say, "You know the Great Commission?" Yes? You know the great so. So didn't he say something before the Great Commission? What's the Great Commission? No, that's not the Great Commission. Just quote it. Don't summarize it. Yeah, say it. Ah, yeah. What we call the Great Commission starts with, go ye therefore. Therefore means there's something before. What's before? Say it again. Thank you. I couldn't hear where the sound was coming from. Thank you. Uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How? He's been crowned, but he hasn't begun fully to, expre expo uh, 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 to uh, um, exploit his authority. Folks, because all authority is his and he is crowned, we may cross all boundaries, all, all borders, don't need a visa, do it with a visa if you can. If you don't have a visa, don't worry. We can cross all boundaries, all borders. We have the authority of the king. But that doesn't mean his ambassadors will be honored because he hasn't been enthroned yet. You follow? So, um, so 
what we're doing, go, let's go back now to Romans 1 and 3 and 4. I, I have to have you understand this in order to make sense of what's going on in chapter 11. We're making no headway in chapter 11, but you have to understand what's going on in Romans 1, 3, and 4 in order to make sense out of chapter 11. Chapters 9 to 11 are the climax of Paul's argument in the book. From that point, he will be explaining to them what all this means. How do you then live in light of this? What, what, how, do we, how do we express this in our lives? So, but he has to lay this foundation in before he can go to the application. So why do we end this whole section, chapters 1 to 11, with chapters 9 to 11? Because 12 wouldn't fit well after 8. is not an adequate answer. So, so why do we have this? Look at it again. Verse 3. is not about his humanity. It's about his royalty. He's born of the seed of David. That's his human title to kingship. Yes? But verse 4 is now giving us his divine title to kingship. Resurrection is his coronation day. This is not the humanity and deity of Jesus. This is his human and divine title to kingship. Folks, why did Paul say the, give us these two verses? What I want you to do is to look at the text and analyze the grammar of the text. I know that's painful. Because gram- grammar was what we learned in school about how to write a proper sentence. And I never did get the, com- the commas down properly. I still struggle with commas. Um, he wanted to know if he was total man, total yet, No, that's not it. It's his deity. It's his royalty, not his deity in humanity. Look, look again at verse 2. Or indeed, verse 1. Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And then verses 2, 3, and 4 describe the gospel in one way or another. And they don't mention the cross. Why don't they? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it. The gospel is proclaimed beforehand in the prophets and the Holy, Holy Scriptures. Yes? All right. So whatever is in the prophets about, the, about this work of, the, of, of Jesus is going to be now described. Well, what's in the prophets that's... We've just looked at the prophets. We looked at Psalms written by the prophet David. Or that is the second psalm written by the prophet David. Is David a prophet? Did God speak to him and give him messages? Yes. Is David a prophet? Yes. Uh, he, he didn't work in a nonprofit organization, but he is a prophet. <laughs> so, uh, so, but also we looked at 2 Samuel. Is 2 Samuel a prophetic book? Yes. In the in the Hebrew in my Hebrew Bible, um, I have as you do Matthew uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, called the Torah, the the instruction, the words of Moses. Then I have as the next book Joshua, Judges, Samuel, 
and Kings, not Ruth, Samuel and Kings. These are called the former prophets. And then I move in my Bible to, to Isaiah and uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Neither Lamentations nor Daniel are in that group. Uh, then Hosea to Malachi. These are the latter prophets. Samuel, the more I teach Samuel, the more I'm convinced it is a prophetic book. It doesn't do a lot of predicting in terms of statements about what the future is going to be like, but it does a lot of prophetic evaluation of the kingdom of, of uh, Saul and David. Are you with me here? So I have looked at the prophets and the Psalms, and even in the Psalm I'm looking at a prophet, they're talking about what, what Davidic kingship looks like. And now David is, I'm sorry, Paul in Romans 1 is setting us up for the interpretation of chapters 1 to 11 and saying to us, folks, the gospel is not about forgiveness of sins. That's a means to an end. It's not about the death of Jesus. That's a means to an end. It's not even about the resurrection of Jesus. That's a means to an end. It's about redeeming all creation. Turn to Romans 8. When the rulers of the earth sinned, they brought condemnation not only on themselves, but on the creation. Yes? When the rulers of the earth are redeemed, their realm must be redeemed too. So Romans chapter 8, thank you, <laughs> uh, verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. For the, uh, the, the creation was subjected to... to do you have vanity? What do you have? Meaning? Frustration. Frustration's a good word. Um, futility. Um, the, the word translates a word in Hebrew that means um, uh, being temporal, being passing, passing away. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption into the freedom of the, uh, of the glory of the sons of uh, children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and travails together until now. Are you with me here? In, in, we, we skipped verse uh, uh, 20. Uh, verses um, uh, uh, Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. The gospel is not about getting you out of hell and into heaven. It's not about getting into heaven at all. It's about getting to the new heavens and new earth, the new creation, where, where, where righteousness dwells and where Jesus reigns supreme. Do you follow this? So, so the point is that without the kingdom, the gospel is incomplete. If all that ever happens is that you get to heaven, gospel's not enough. Just from a chronology standpoint, the, the new kingdom doesn't come until after the millennium, right? 
Well, that I don't want to go that far to this morning. Look, though, at verse 23. Um, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan within ourselves while we await the adoption. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. Until your body is redeemed, you are not fully redeemed. Salvation is not complete for you until your body is redeemed. Um, folks, um, John Taylor, was that his name? Pat? Yeah. yeah. Um, death can be such a futile thing. Uh, it, it really confronts us with questions about the meaning of life, doesn't it? It, it, it overwhelms me when I stop to think about it. And Paul says, of course, you know this in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Yes? But the hope is not a mansion in heaven. The hope is the new heavens and new earth. We were created for this earth. But we condemned this earth to futility, to passing, to being temporal, to being fleeting. Everything's short-term here. It's so frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. I, I went back to visit my college in Memphis where I taught for 18 years, four or five years after I left, and I was surprised that there were still people there who remembered me. They were on staff, <laughs> not students. They, were, they had taken seven years to do a four-year program. <laughs> uh, the, the idea, you've heard it, if you want to know how you'll be missed when you're gone, get a pail of water, and stick your hand in it, yeah, pull it out, and the hole that's left is, is how you'll be missed. Well, isn't it the truth? Yeah. Um, so, so here is this world that is so futile, it's so fleeting. Where is their meaning? The only meaning that is in life is service to God that cannot fail, brothers and sisters. When you are obedient, when you are faithful to God, you cannot fail. Nothing you do is meaningless. I just finished yesterday 1 Corinthians. We had to cover... Thursday night, Friday, and all day Saturday, we had to cover Acts and 1 Corinthians. So I just finished 1 Corinthians yesterday. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58, for this reason, be steadfast. What reason? For what reason? Hope of? What's to come? What's to come? 1 Corinthians 15, what's the hope? Resurrection. Here's the point, Paul says. Why did I tell you about resurrection, Paul says. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Am I making sense to you? See, it's not heaven that is my hope. It's the world to come that is my hope. Fred? Yeah, when you were talking about the, the resurrection being the beginning of the kingdom. Uh-huh. 
Well, the beginning of Jesus' kingship. Yeah. When he was preaching in Nazareth, in Nazareth, he said, the, "You've seen the scripture: the blind will walk, walk the lame, the blind." Yeah, yeah. This day, this prophecy is fulfilled. Yeah. What is the relationship with that? Well, the the New Testament is full of. Uh, instances of, of a conception called already and not yet. Uh, look again at verse 23. R- Romans 8:23. Look, look at the Bible at verse 23. <laughs> uh, he's looking at my face. I <laughs> write the scriptures upon your forehead, it, it, but that's not here. Uh, so, so, uh, are you redeemed? According to Romans 8:23. Not yet. But according to Romans 3, already. Are you with me here? So is the kingdom already or not yet? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, turn, to, turn to Colossians 1. Aspects of Jesus' royal rule are already in action. But the fullness of his royal rule is not yet in place. So in Colossians chapter 1, uh, I have to find the verse. Um, 21 maybe? Uh, he's transferred us out of the kingdom of his darkness. Ah, verse 13. He has delivered us from the, the uh, authority of darkness... And has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So, so we're already in the kingdom while we're awaiting the kingdom. The king has been crowned. We have acknowledged his royal stature. We are, we are now subjects of his rule. Yes? But we're waiting for him to, to exercise all his authority. Bring the whole earth under his rule. The time when... Uh, the Father has set Rome, uh, Psalm 10, 110, 1, um, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. Then he will sit, as, as the angel promised Mary in Luke 1, he will sit on the throne of his father David. As far as I know, the throne of David has never been raptured to heaven. I only know of one rapture in Scripture. Okay? So, so if he sits on the throne of David, that will be the day when... Um, he, um, he begins to exercise the fullness of his rule. Rick, brother, I was coming right to you. Yeah. Why is Paul the only apostle that got this message? He didn't. It's, he's not. Uh, Peter got it. Uh, it's, it's basic to Peter's concept. Yeah, why is Paul the only apostle that got that message? Look at Second Peter 1. No, not, not in particular. The, the, the use of it in Romans is, as we'll see next time. But turn to Second Peter 1. It's important that you see this. Paul is not the only apostle that got this. Second Peter chapter 1, um, verse uh, 3. Now, follow me with this, and, and, and don't run ahead. Let me... Let me develop the idea as it comes. Verse 3, blessed is, be, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who has begotten us again. Right? New birth? Yes? Yes? He's begotten us again to a living hope. So, so the begetting is to a living hope. That's future, yes? Um, um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah, First Peter. What did I say? Second Peter. I'm sorry. I knew what I meant. You just... Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I have, I have a photogenic memory. Not photographic. It's photogenic. It looks good whenever they take a picture of it, but there's nothing written on it. It's First Peter chapter one. Photogenic memory. Verse 3. Yeah, photogeriatric, is that what you said? Oh, dear. Uh, I don't want to call this a senior moment. It's a Nebuchadnezzar moment. And, uh, the thing has gone out from me. Uh, but verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, 1 Corinthians makes the point. How can you not believe in the bodily resurrection of believers if you believe in the bodily resurrection of the Savior? He is raised from the dead. You will be too. Yeah, that's, that, I was going to say that earlier. Your date of death is your date of resurrection. Well, it's, it's, it's anticipating that. Um, the, the resurrection, we're still, we're still sleeping in that sense. Um, do you remember in Revelation chapter 6, there are souls under the altar. Yes. And God says to them, rest a little while until your brothers are, are martyred as you have been. So we're resting in, in death. We're resting. Not unconscious, but we're resting in that yeah, period. I thought that the ones that were there under the altar were the ones that were martyred yeah. afterward. Yeah, the yeah, return. I agree. But, the, but my point is still, yeah. I think, valid. We're talking about what death is at this point. Verse, uh, uh, so the living hope through the resurrection, the living hope is not going to heaven when you die. The living hope is resurrection. You follow this? He goes on, verse 4, to an inheritance, again future. Yes? It's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, kept in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God. New birth is the initiation of our life with God. You would all agree with that, yes? What's the life like? Well, he describes it there in verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 5. Who are being kept by the power of God through faith. So God's power is now keeping us as he sustains our faith. All right? That's the present experience of the new life God has given us. But it's not all. What's the last term? We're, we're being kept by the power of God through faith. What does Peter think salvation is? New birth? Does he call new birth salvation? No. Does he call our present experience salvation? No. What's salvation? The inheritance, the resurrection. Are you with me here? So Peter has this knowledge, uh, this this notion too, and he develops it in, in various ways in the rest of the book. Is he writing to the Jews 
Jews or is he writing to Gentiles? I think he's writing to Jews. He's oh. writing to Jews. Well, Paul's writing to Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? But it's not, it's not because he's writing to Jews or Gentiles that he talks about this. This is what salvation is. So about half the time in the New Testament, about half the time that save language is used, salvation, save, saving, right? About half the time it refers to new birth. The other half of the time it refers to either what we traditionally call sanctification or glorification. And if you read about salvation and you think, oh, new birth, then you're going to have places where the Bible says you've got you to obey to be saved. Now what? You got to look at it differently. So I can't I can't interpret so as to create a contradiction in Scripture. So I have to let the text define its own terms. So back to Romans one. Why has Paul said these things, folks? Everything pretty much that we've been talking about in Romans up to this point has been focusing on us as individuals, more or less. Yes. But now I need to start branching out. I need to start expanding my concept of what salvation means. He has saved us as individuals for community. But he has saved us as individuals for community to reach a destination. And we must, as a community, reach the destination. And the destination is the kingdom. Without the kingdom, this all falls flat. So in Romans 11, with, with the last moments of our time together this morning, in Romans 11, verse 11, the question comes, um, surely Israel has not stumbled so as to fall, have they? If Israel fails, brothers and sisters, maybe I need to do a lesson on this when we get back together. Um, <coughs> If Israel fails, God no longer can claim to be God. <laughs> I, I want to take you, if, if you have occasion to do this between now and two weeks from today, read Isaiah 41 to 48, uh, eight chapters, uh, Isaiah 41 to 48. It's a courtroom scene. I want, I want to know what is God doing in this courtroom scene. He convenes it. So why does he hold this courtroom scene? What is, the, what, are, what, what is the question that's before the court, and how is it answered? Okay? So we'll do this next time, because I'm, I'm setting up the questions of, of, Hebrews, of, of Romans 11. Are you with me here? Yeah? All right. Uh, Isaiah 41 to 48. Um, I'll have to reread it myself and make some notes, but, but um, uh, that's an important passage. It's a critical passage. The sum of the message of Isaiah 41 to 48 is that if God doesn't save Israel, he isn't God. Yeah, but he, but he tied himself by oath to them, and if he breaks his oath, he loses his right to be called God. So... We're dealing with ultimate issues here. We're not dealing with, uh, what do I do at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning when I have this hard decision to make? Uh, it's, we're talking about ultimate issues. What is your destiny? In, ge- in your geometry studies, how did you define a point? What, what are the means of defining a point geometrically? 
Right, what? You, yeah, but but how do you define? I'm sorry, I didn't answer, ask the question properly. How do you define a the location of a point? Yeah, you have to triangulate with at least two other points. Yes, I'm giving you the other point. The first point is the is is the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and coming of the Holy Spirit. There actually is is another point even further back: creation, redemption, and consummation. So, with three triangulating points, I can know who I am, where I am, and what I'm doing, and what Paul's doing in Romans. So, let's close with prayer. Father, we're dealing with these ultimate issues. We're dealing with the very claims you make. We're we're dealing with your character. Uh, help us understand, Father, to know you is life eternal. So if we, if we fall short of knowing you, um, our lives will be stunted. Give us fullness of life. It is your purpose. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Yeah, I